Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate on the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal of this series is to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights from working with health professionals and organizations across the country. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are top of mind. Now let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. In today's episode, we're going to spend a little bit of time discussing revenue cycle and revenue cycle performance. This remains a pretty hot topic as we see organizations across the country rebound from COVID. Many of them are facing their ability to increase revenues or at least create efficiencies that help them to ensure that they're collecting everything they should be collecting from payers. And particularly on the, on the physician side or the medical group side, because of the complexity related to revenue cycle, when you think about the front end and all of the activity that occurs with registering patients, checking eligibility, getting a pre-certification for a, a surgical case or what have you, all of those elements taken together does lend itself to certain complexity impacting the revenue cycle. And what it comes down to, as we've talked about many times, is three things. People and your ability to really train the staff and help them be successful in the process of revenue cycle. Second, the process in and of itself. It has to be efficient and it has to be streamlined. So everybody's kind of doing the same thing. And then the technology, right? So if technology is set up appropriately, that aligns the process, helps support the staff, there's your opportunity to maximize your collections. Well, I'm really excited today to have two fabulous guests, Cecilia Gonzalez, who's Director of Revenue Cycle of Community Care Network, which is part of Community Hospital in Munster, Indiana, and Rachel Greenspan, Director of Medical Group Revenue Cycle Operations for North Shore University Health System, which is in the north suburbs of Chicago. These two ladies did a great presentation with HFMA, their revenue cycle conference that they had oh, a couple of months ago. Extremely well received, a lot of great information. Cecilia, Rachel, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. So maybe we could start with you, Cecilia. You know, as, as, I, as I mentioned, and I've been doing revenue cycle for a long time, and as we think about this, um, I always focus to what is the, the biggest issue that we need to solve for as we want to enhance our revenue cycle performance. And the front end always, always comes to mind, right? Because it, it is complicated. There are many different impact factors, if you will, that influence your ability to collect. What are some of the things that you focused on as you think about some of the front end processes? And in particular, where do you go to, 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 to identify if you have a problem, per se? So some of our challenges have, you know, obviously in this day and age have been um, just a lot of trying to find the right candidate to sit at the front desk, but then cumbersome with all the different Medicare plans, all these different you know, quality contracts that we're getting and ensuring that they're done right at the beginning. Um, 
you know, it's uh, the story of, you know, we've, we're, we're going down the path that this is a value-based care patient. We think it is because it's a, a great product line in the system, and we get to the end and realize, oh, patient had this instead of this. So it's very important for that training at the front end. Um, we develop like a Medicare grid with every potential type of Medicare and value-based contract that kind of aligns to make sure our front-end users are looking at their card, putting in the system right, because it it, it, it is our – it's the front end process of it, but it really is huge when it comes to the value-based contract and moving it downstream line for the physicians to make sure they're hitting the metrics, so. Yeah, you are absolutely right. And, you know, as, as we start to expand the amount, amount of contracts, right? So if it's just fee-for-service, there's a set of requirements that complement that. But then when you layer on top of that some value-based care elements, such as, I don't know, HCCs or ensuring that you're tracking where patients are coming from and all of those things that help sort of support the value-based care components. I can't help but wonder that the system setup has to really be structured appropriately to comp- to complement that process, right? Otherwise, you're having staff um, really work through a very cumbersome type of a, a approach. Rachel, what are you seeing in terms of maybe system setup and some of the things that, that you've been able to do or maybe some of the criteria that's really important to set up the system, right, to complement the process. So in thinking about HCCs, you really need to get the physician buy-in. For some organizations, it's going to look very different from others. For example, one organization may want to create a habit. So when they build their best practice alerts to let the physician know that a patient has HCCs, They're going to want to do that for every patient, regardless of their plan, because the thought is we need people to remember to do this every time because more and more people are going to move to these value-based plans. So on the other side of that, another organization may want to focus on just their MA plans or MA and MSFP because their physicians already talk about BPA, best practice alert fatigue. And so for that organization, it may not make sense to fire for everybody. When you think about the system setup and your, your comment about buy-in from all the providers on capturing ACCs, the system has to be set up to complement it. Um, I think alerts are great, but you know, I, I talked to numerous physicians about their EMR and alert fatigue is probably the number one issue that, that resonates to the top. You know very quickly with, with managing their inbox. So again, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think as we start to streamline that, you're going to see your revenue cycle performance really expand. When we think about denials and managing denials, obviously is a big part of improving the revenue cycle performance. Cecilia, what are some of the things that, that you've been focused on as you've been managing denials and reducing denials and, you know, sort of solving that at the, at, at the point of, of where the challenge of denials may take place? Um, so we have, uh, we, we have dashboards that we've been kind of, you know, implementing um, in several different areas. Um, we definitely are looking at denials in general, but we also are focusing on some of our HCC contracts. Some of our, um, you know, just making sure we're hitting the core elements requirements for all of our value-based care contracts as well. So it is quite challenging. We've had to, like I said, we do regular dashboards, but we're having to now do like a additional dashboard just 
for the quality metrics and things that we want to make sure we're touching for um, some of these additional, you know, quality-based contracts that we're, we're hoping to hit. And um, our challenge has been uh, just trying to kind of level set and look at little, get little bits at a time because it can be quite overwhelming with multiple things going on in the denial forefront, so. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, denials, when you think about either working through the denials or looking at the impact of the denials or the opportunity related to reducing denials, it touches a number of stakeholders in an organization, right? So if, right. if you're focusing on the vice president of managed care who's, who's negotiating these contracts, they want to know what the denials are so that hopefully you can incorporate that into some of your future contract negotiations and either create a carve out or put some protections into the contract. You know, the same holds true for the CFO. They want to understand what the denial rate is because that impacts their the net collection rate, right? So when you were presenting, what were some of the things that you worked through or kind of discussed with the audience around, say, some of the stakeholder impacts related to denials? We focused on, you know, obviously the high dollar impact. Where could we get our easiest, you know, what are our highest challenges? Where were our easiest wins with the denials? Like where could we put the team to really focus on um, making an impact and moving things around? Um, as Rachel said, we acknowledge there's a lot of, lots of infrastructure and a system needed, lots of build. Um, also a lot of room for education. Um, that's probably been one of our areas that we, we put a lot of focus on is as we, learn about a denial, we understand what we might have done, could have done indifferently, getting out there and sharing it with the, the, the physicians that are the stakeholders of help, helping kind of to reduce that. Um, education has been really big, kind of one of our biggest focuses for the last six months. And it, we do see like movement in our denials based on some of that. So um, sharing is caring and the denials tend to be quite stressful. And I think uh, it takes a team to really move it forward and make change when it comes to revenue cycle in general with with value base with regular with it with the whole gamut of it so yeah i i absolutely agree rachel what are you seeing in your organization related to some of the denial management or what are some of the things that you've been able to put in place yeah i agree completely with uh what cecilia had to say and and highlighting that educational piece i i think a lot of organizations struggle with um, just an overall understanding, which crosses through the patient, our frontline staff, and our physicians. So obviously your, your annual wellness visit is going to be your biggest opportunity to capture the HCCs. And um, our front desk staff don't necessarily know what that is because they don't go to annual wellness visits. Um, our patients, their entire lives, they've been going in for annual physicals. They don't know what, what an annual wellness visit is. And our providers don't always understand the benefit of it either. And their patients are looking to come in for a physical. They want a physical. And an AWV and a physical aren't the same thing. So for us, I really think that education is the foundation that has to happen before anything else. Because when things get scheduled wrong, then you get the denial. Disheartening when you do that. I mean, I think we've had multiple scenarios where the physicians are so like pat on the back, we got it right. We send the claim out, it comes back to be another, a completely other carrier. And um, those are the, the heartbreaks of registration, not doing it right at the beginning. So 
absolutely. Right. So it sounds like you ladies really put in place very focused education programs that's geared towards, say, the receptionists or the registration staff, um, definitely the physicians, and even some of the other areas within the, say, the business office, right, to really educate folks and to raise the, let's say, the competency level or the understanding of where, where denials are occurring. Yeah, it's an ongoing education dashboards. We're dashboard away, but I think it's very interesting when you dashboard. People tend to want to move the, the number down. So I think Rachel and I both have talked about this where it comes, becomes very competitive when you start kind of like showing the, this is where we'd like to be. This is where we're at. Look what they're doing, you know. So um, it's always wonderful to, to metrics and dashboard away and show improvement as it occurs. So let's talk a little bit about that, maybe some of the key performance indicators and some of the things that you've created within your dashboard reports, or at least some of the information that, that you share. Rachel, maybe we could start with you. What are some of the things that you look for as you begin to generate your KPIs and share this information with providers or with staff? So we, um, we look at our annual wellness visit rate, we look at our HCC capture rate, and we look at the, the trajectory of our RAS score. And we do use a number of different dashboards and reports. And so we will look at it from an organizational level for maybe our senior level administration. For our physicians, we will do one for just primary care. We'll do another one for our specialty team. And then sometimes we get down to the practice level and really graph it out so that they can say, ooh, I'm here, but my peer is here. And it, it, it does work to get that uh, competitive spirit going because doctors are competitive and, and they want to be the best. I mean, to share this information with them to help them understand how they're doing compared to others you're kind of building off that internal competition, right? I was say you have the argument because sometimes the, the specialist will say, well, that, that's the primary care physician's job. And so this is hard data to show, well, your peers are doing it. <laughs> so you can do it too. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So Cecilia, how are you using this information? What are some of the things that you begin to, to share with your teams? Uh, we do a lot. We uh, we do we look at the RAF scores as well. We kind of do a lot of more of the quality metrics. Um, we are just kind of dabbling in the HCC, and um, we've kind of taken the HCC with let's focus on these five or ten little areas from the HCC. So um, RAF scores have been a really big thing for us. It seems to be kind of the target. Uh, we do measurements of comparison year where they were last year, where they're at, and then just kind of looking at the bench the bell curve of what we see on the Medicare website, but Again, um, pretty standard with what Rachel's doing, a lot of dashboarding, putting data. Um, we've not taken it to the practice level quite yet. Um, we're at a physician scale, but um, that's just because we have physicians that are doing lots of movement within our organization, and um, we just haven't gotten to that level. But again, uh, the RAF scores are huge for us. Um, just kind of monitoring, as Rachel said, we, we want to look at how many annual wellness visits we're doing. Did we capture them all? making sure our system is set up so that we're not getting somebody to come in too soon for that annual wellness exam because that's a denial right there. So we've got right. a lot of moving parts happening um, as related to, you know, all this value-based wonderful stuff that is 
I'm with you. It's not going away. It's the way of the future. And so we're always looking for more opportunities to, to, to bell curve benchmark something else and improve it. Right. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I, I like the way that you're presenting this because coordinating the KPIs um, around where the outcome is and the outcome not only is sometimes it's in denial, reducing your denials, but it's increasing your revenue, your revenue opportunities. It leads me to think about a recent conversation that I had with one of my other clients who was heavily involved in a risk-based Medicare Advantage product, and everything was built around the RAF score. And to improve the RAF score, they needed to make sure they were capturing all of their HCCs. In order to capture their HCCs, they needed to have the annual wellness exams, and it needed to be a, a high rate and done appropriately. And then also ensuring that your denials for the services were as low as possible, because all of that feeds off one another. And so what it really did is it connected the dots in terms of how these indicators could drive a certain outcome and improve the overall performance. It sounds like a lot of what you ladies are doing within your organizations as well. I would just add that I, I think it's really important to mention that with all that, you, you have to look at the documentation to make sure that um, it's compliant. And so it's one thing to talk about wanting to build your raft, but it's another thing to do it compliantly. So just want to put that plug in. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, it all has to be done compliance and you know, there, I mean, there is a revenue piece to it, but that's really not why you do it. You make sure that you're actually accurately capturing what you need to capture on the patient visits and really tracking appropriately the complexity and the risks associated with a particular physician panel. That's really why you do it. Cecilia, anything you might add to that? No, I, I think, you know, you said it best. We all three need to, co you know, the annual wellness, the HCC, RAS, they have to kind of like its own little kind of have to like link together to make this all success. And again, very, it all has to be physician buy-in because it really is, it really is kind of, you know, unfortunately on them, but you know, you got a lot of education, great coders, you know, great office staff supporting the initiative. I think it, it, it can be done and it can be successful. It just takes a while to get there. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one area of denials I'd like to spend a couple minutes talking about is around say pre-certifications, pre-authorizations of, of surgical cases. We've been doing quite a bit of work with organizations lately, improving a lot of their surgical processes. And um, we've seen in, in most cases, as we've started to work with these organizations, a real breakdown in terms of being able to catch the pre-certification or the pre-authorization and how that information needs to flow from the front end to the claim to the back end and, and so forth. What are you all seeing in, in your organization? And are there certain things that you put in place, checks and balances, if you will, to ensure that you're getting that right information on the claim and the claim is going out clean? Cecilia, anything, anything come to mind? Yeah, we recently just um, instituted, so, you know, we use the, the Epic as our system, and they do have a great authorization module, but it does lack some of the luster that some of our payers are challenging us with. So we have developed um, what I would call like a smart phrase for our team to like 
ask all the questions. We're, we're getting down to who am I speaking with, authorization, how long is this good for, here are the exact CPT codes, here are the exact diagnosis codes. Um, we see a lot of authorizations coming back with, you know, saying, you know, these three diagnoses were not added on the auth, and we are just stunned with the, the level of weight, but that was, you know, the procedure is accurate, and so we are trying to get down to that like I feel like authorizations are getting very down to specificity of exactly what are you doing and what are you getting permission to do. So um, we just implemented that about a month ago, and you know, hoping to track and monitor how that the outcome of it is. It's cumbersome. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it's been challenging. We have got a lot of challenging payers that want to push the button with authorization. So. Yeah, and it, it is. It's 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 really challenging. And some of these things are no-brainers, right? So you should be able to get the authorization from the insurance plan. The patient absolutely needs it. It sort of just puts delays in in the process. Um, but it sounds like at least some of what you put in place. It'll be interesting to see how that how that works. Rachel, what are you seeing in your organization related to some of these pre-certs, pre-auths for for surgical cases? So at North Shore, what we ended up doing is moving to a more centralized pre-cert process. We just found that having experts who are doing this all day, every day, um, just worked better for us than having the practices do it. And so that, that that's what's been successful for us. Oh, I think that's a great idea. And many organizations have started to move to more centralized pre-cert pre-authorization processing um, because it just does add to that efficiency. And the other thing that it did, and it, it sort of builds on what you ladies had talked about before, is because some of the pre-cert, pre-auth is a little complicated based on what the requirements are from the plan, if you centralize it, you're only educating a small number of folks who really become that subject matter experts for the organization as opposed to creating education for all of the front end staff, which, you know, frankly, could be 100 people, right? Is, is that exactly. some of what you've seen, Rachel? Exactly. Spot on. Um, it is, it's definitely a lot easier to train 20 people than to, to go out to all the different practices. And, you know, when we have a, a centralized 313, that's what they're doing and what they're concentrating on. The folks in the practice are juggling hundreds of things every day. And so um, I, I think just the being able to focus and give it your full attention really makes um, a difference too. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And like you said, you know, they become that those those subject matter experts that really understand what the what the payers want and, and how to move it through. So when you're let's move to the the KPIs perspective here when you're when you're looking at your pre-cert pre-authorization um, denials if you will how do you know if you have a problem what are some of the KPIs that you're looking for that help identify if, if there is an issue that you could bring back to the group and maybe specifically to a, a, I don't know a specialty if you will anything come to mind there Rachel Uh, to be honest, the, the pre-cert uh, falls under another team, and so I am not as adept in, in knowing the ins and outs of, of what they're looking at and, and the trending. So do you see anything on the back end that would that, that you provide to that team 
like maybe the, I don't know, eligibility denials or something of that nature? Um, you know what, for, for us, it's, it's really more about um, just the documentation that needs to be right. there. It isn't. And then, well, and that's um, key. Yeah, we mm -hmm. do a little bit of uh, dashboards on um, what we would call the front end denials, which is the authorizations. And so we will usually take our authorization denials, um, roll them out into the, to, you know, where they occurred at, um, do some kind of monthly, you know, level sets. Again, we're finding that even best practice putting an authorization in a system, sending it over, we still see like insurance companies rejecting the claim for an authorization and we'll call and they, they do that. Oh, okay. We, we'll reprocess it now. So there is a little bit of that that we see occur, but we um, monitor our authorization denials and just kind of, you know, we try to keep them, we'd like to see them like at a closer 5% of our total denials. But, you know, obviously there's some challenges every month with different payers moving their their systems around as well. Right, right. So Cecilia, have you seen a centralized approach um, work well or are you still decentralized and just providing a number of education and like you said, some good reporting just to provide that level of feedback? I think it's centralized work. I, I would prefer centralized. We are a smaller organization. Um, we do have a very big uh, separation when we talk about like, we have three hospitals that they can feed into. So, um, you know, we would hope to move to that model at some point and we're still kind of in growth mode. So um, we do have core areas that we focus. And so those members in the office that are doing authorization are usually like nurses and, you know, the surgery scheduling type of person. Um, but long-term, we would love to do, you know, go into a centralized because I have seen it as Rachel said, it's successful, it's nicer. Um, we're just not an organization that has it at the point, at, at this point, so. Right, and I, and I think you have to evolve into it. I think the larger, you know, as you start to move forward with the level of complexity around the different surgical cases, you know, you can make the, you can make the decision to create a subject matter expert in each of the individual practices, or you can centralize it. I think it, it sort of works both ways, but it does come down to the process, it does come down to the, the technology. One area, though, that, that I, I do want to spend a couple minutes on is the information that you provide to your physicians on denials. And Rachel, you had, you had mentioned that obviously the documentation is important, providing the right level of feedback is important. What are some of the things that you've shared with the physicians to make them, let's say, just aware of, of some of the denial activity that's, that's occurring, and in particular, then what collectively or collaboratively we need to do to reduce our denials. So with the AWV, that's not something that you can um, try to reduce it with a modifier. You have to have all of the key elements. And so um, if the HRA is not in there, if the visual acuity is not there when it, when it needs to be, um, we can't even send them out the door uh, so really trying to focus on that education to, to get it right from the beginning to avoid the denial. I'm all about avoiding the denial. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> right, going down to the root cause and solving for that, right? Um, that's the best way to, to kind of reduce your denials. Otherwise, it's a churn and burn. So, and the physicians are pretty receptive to this information? So, I mean, obviously the primary care physicians, um, 
seem to understand it more and obviously they they right. have more contact with the patient and they have built that relationship and patients expect to, to see them on a regular basis. It's definitely more challenging with the specialists because there is a, a fear that if they're putting down an HCC that's unrelated to their specialty, that that means all of a sudden they're responsible for that condition. And that's absolutely yeah. not true. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that. Cecilia, what are you sharing with your physicians? Um, we, we do a lot of, as Rachel said, we, do, we focus on the annual wellness. Um, we focus a lot on medical necessity, um, you know, because that seems to be the trend, medical necessity. We want to focus, and medical necessity usually is related to the diagnosis, and so it kind of leads us into, like, the HCCs and, you know, what did we miss? You know, is the documentation supporting that? Was your intent to write this, but you picked this code? We get a lot of those, those kind of scenarios, and just kind of working closely with the physicians, making sure they're comfortable with the diagnosis they're selecting. And I'm with Rachel. I think that's one of the number one things we hear from our physicians is they know they've assessed a diagnosis, but they don't feel that they're managing it 100%. So why should they document it? And we're like, or why should they code it? But I'm like, you documented it though. So it, yeah. it's a lot of that type of relationship, getting them comfortable with that whole thought process. So it's been challenging, but we share a lot of those type of di you know, denials. And that's all part of our education with our providers as well. Right. Well, it's sharing the information and it's educating around the why, right? And if you're doing that, you're able to kind of improve your performance. Well, ladies, I, I want to thank you both for joining me today in this discussion. Um, revenue cycle is always a, has a strong place in my heart and obviously managing your denials, educating, it, it really helps you kind of answer three things, right? How do we know if we have a problem? How do we get started in solving that problem? And then how do we measure our improvement or measure our success? So you all did a, did a great job. Um, appreciate all the, the insight that you bring from your organizations. We'd love to have you back sometime down the road. Uh, but, but thank you again for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you again to our listeners. Uh, again, I'm Daniel Marino. Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights. And until next time, have a wonderful day. We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on a journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. If you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com insights. Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with some of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.